May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. For many that are going through fibromyalgia or any chronic invisible illness, it can be very frustrating. You can feel like you're just a number. If we were presenting a case of somebody with fibromyalgia to medical students, often it's a very abbreviated version. We may give somebody's age, what their symptoms are, maybe how long they have been going on, but there's much more detail that's so important and so relevant that every person going through fibromyalgia is a uniquely human creature with their own unique challenges and opportunities. When we get a chance to hear stories like Dale's, it gives us a much richer understanding of what it's like to live with fibromyalgia and also gain valuable insights. On this week's episode, we continue the conversation with Dale and we delve into the use of photography that helps him get some solace from fibromyalgia symptoms. If you haven't gotten a chance to hear last week's interview, I encourage you to listen to that before today as this is a continuation of a three-part interview. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own individual physician. And now on to this week's episode. Those are a lot of the same insights that I'm learning just in the last few years. You probably know I've always been interested in these invisible illnesses. Your history is very similar to many of my patients that I see. I read the book, Highly Sensitive People, that overlaps. And I think we use different words like the blind man and the elephant to describe the same thing. And I'm like, highly sensitive person is from a perspective of psychology and trying to describe it as a personality. Mm -hmm. Now we're understanding a broader look at autism and autism spectrum. And if you listen to Dr. Mel Hauser, who interviewed in the spring, that spectrum and that highly sensitive and new conditions may be perceived as an introvert, but maybe autonomous, maybe have different ways of communicating and experiencing the world. There's a book called Uniquely Human and a podcast called Uniquely Human. And I'm yeah. going to be interviewing the author. And one of the questions that I'm going to be asking is, because he's an expert on the autism spectrum, and he really reframes that beyond the stereotypical nonverbal four-year-old boy who has social quirks and has some stimming and other things that we 
probably anybody may recognize, but what I'm realizing is that's the tip of the iceberg. Most women, girls, and men who didn't fall into that category, who are now adults in our generation, fell through the cracks that are under the radar. And, and we go, what does the diagnosis mean? I think at minimum, it helps us understand there are different spectrums of experiencing and connecting with the world. Yeah. Like you made a comment on the Facebook group about how neurasthenia has a lot of these. As I'm reading about this whole neurasthenia six months ago, and I'm like, my goodness, in the 1800s and early 1900s, they were describing people, but they lumped them together. And what I call fibromyalgia-related issues, these were very similar. And of course, they were transitioning and their jobs may have been very much like your jobs, the brain workers, as they like to call them. I don't know, you're nodding yeah. your head here. What, what's going through <laughs> your mind when you're... I think it's really nice that you've, you've gone back to that, that starting point because to hear that in the 1800s, people were discussing the same things. I know there's some progress now, but to hear that they were highlighting the same things, we're all putting our hands up and saying, yes, we know now. And then you look at, you know, not all medical professionals, I have to say, but you look at the medical profession and they look at you and go, we don't know what to do with it. And to think that we're, what, 150 years down the line and still trying to find that next step in a lot of cases is, I don't know, when you think how much progress you've made in other areas of, of medical research, just the, the, the fact that you're reading and it could have been written today, when you read about other people's experiences, and this was over 100 years ago, and the light bulbs are going off in my head as you're reading, as you're telling us this information. And it's, you know, like you say, I put a post on there that sort of said, you know, this is like it is now. It's all brain work. What's the one thing that our governments are pushing us to do is to reskill in brain work. Yet our brains are overloaded, which means, oh, we're going to have more fibro and other related sensitivity issues because people just can't. There are people where it naturally happens. I know people, and my wife's naturally good at maths. I'm not. I can do a business budget and track the figures and, and everything else. But when it comes to algebra and all that, I'm, no, that's not me at all. But I'm more on the creative side of that spectrum. But to think that we're still raising the same points now that the authors were writing about in the 1800s, you can see in the online communities, it's time now to how do we push this forward as the people who are the experts having this experience. And this is where individuals like yourself helping get that message out there, not just for patients, but also for the medical profession. How can we bring this closer together is, is key. Yeah, it's just very fascinating. I'm glad you connected and sharing that feedback. It resonates. And as I did, it'll be like six episodes and sharing cases. And I think just like hearing stories, but reading through those, listening to the doctors who were sharing stories back then, Dr. Beard thought it was an American disease because we're so much more industrious and we are this big. <laughs> and we, we do way more brain work here. We're just, these, we're, we're all the revolutionary thinking or the industrial revolution. The common connection, what is, I think, in contrast, though, is hopefully the message is that most of the medical community felt this was a real problem they had 
a actually good idea. Neurasthenia is nerve exhaustion, which is this idea that the nervous system has a certain buffer or capacity that it can handle. And if you want to call that stress and those multiple points hit a critical mass, and then all of a sudden the dominoes start to happen and feel collapsed. And sadly, what happened was when the medical model took over and they didn't have the smoking gun of what was causing it, they moved on. Those people passed and the new generation wanted to focus on surgery, penicillin, operations, and working on that model. I have joked, the doctors back then would have said, we're going to find out what's wrong with you, whether you're dead or alive. (laughs) Because back then they would just do autopsies (laughs) of people. I talked to a recently retired internist who had a high school graduation, and he said, before the CT scan, we were doing all these exploratory laps. And once the CT hit, we could now avoid unnecessary surgery and all the people who had gluten sensitivity and didn't go in and open you up. But back then, mm. they would have done a, a lot more invasive things. Yeah, yeah, we are more enlightened now. And thankfully, medical advances mean that we, we can do much less invasive investigations. I think the, the, the big challenge, especially post-pandemic as well, with, with the, uh, the length of waiting, if you, can't, if you haven't got the finances to go down the private route, which would see you go to whoever you want to see, when you want to see them almost, it, it is that, that waiting and then once you get to that person, you've got to wait then for the yes or no that they consult their their colleagues, and then it's waiting for that sort of push on sort of thing. In, in the group online, there's lots of sharing of oh, this new research says this works, that works. And at that time, I was really having a bad flare up, and I was getting very concerned about the cognitive function. In the early fifties, I I don't want that burden on my family. So if there's something I can do about it, so I went back to the GP. And that's why I got another referral because that's above my pay grade type of thing. Let's get you back to the pain clinic and start these conversations. And with the amount of pain I have in my back and the fact I get headaches when I, if I breathe too deep and it feels my head goes more numb and my back gets more sensitive. I was reading a book by, I think it's Alan Gordon, The Way Out about managing chronic pain and self-managing, reducing the pain. So you keep finding little bits and pieces that you think I've got to self-advocate and I've got to go with something to say, look, I've been reading and it's, I see it like a sort of a, a negotiation tool. Okay, if you won't do that, what else can we investigate? Because I want to be able to support my family and I don't want them having to look after me, that sort of thing. So it's I, I've written a, a blog post that I haven't published yet, but I'm... The brain fog takes me ages to put my blog posts together a little bit at a time and then re-edit and re-edit. But I've written one saying to people about in this day and age, we have to self-advocate. We have to go to our medical professionals informed. It used to be a time where if you were a little bit informed, they might have got annoyed with you. We're the experts. But I see that tide changing the more that I've spoken to my GP and others about fibromyalgia. And we have to self-advocate and research and not, I can't do a lot of research, but get enough information where it can be, look, this matches a lot of the symptoms that I have. Where do we start? Should we investigate this? What are your thoughts? I'm finding once I can get to have these conversations, it's more open with these medical professionals now because it is a big unknown and what they have available for treatment in the UK at least as well on the NHS, which is under so much pressure, 
financially and, and otherwise is limited in terms of what they can give you, which is the usual pacing, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, stretching, these sorts of things, uh, which do work. They, they help me keep the balance, but I want to be, I, I know I won't be 100% better, and I know that this experience, if I woke up tomorrow and could function, I know that I've got to be extremely careful that I don't slip into a severe flare-up. And it would change how I have to lead my life going forward. It would just make it a lot easier if I could clear some of these symptoms to some extent. So, yeah, progress is being made. And it's just being able to have those conversations with the right people. And I think part of the problem is medicine thrives best under the classic medical model where there's a clear problem with a clear, easy solution. That's either a medication or a surgical procedure with a high success rate. Fibromyalgia is such a multifaceted approach and involving so many different aspects, and that makes it a challenge. One of the things that I am finding is this pattern, right? You inherit these sort of predispositions. When you look then at if you have any siblings or at your parents, odds are one of them probably had a similar predisposition. Do you have any, not the, I think you want to talk about your family on here, but is there some common traits that you, when you look at relatives, just like in the doctors who cared for people at neurasthenia, they would focus so much on family history. Yes. Yeah. The, it was, I think it was about a year after I was diagnosed. I was out taking a pic, some pictures of sunset one winter's morning because I can't get up too early in the, so winter's perfect for sun, for sorry sunrise juice in the morning, and I got a call from my mum, and it's sort of part of that conversation. We went, your nan had fibromyalgia, but it wasn't called that back then. No, <laughs> I know she took so many. We used to joke with her, and then you take so many tablets, you'll rattle if we pick you up and shake you. She had tablets for counteracting the tablets she was taking for all the time I knew her, but. Yeah, she she was a quite nervous type of person, always on the go, always got to be doing something. And there there is a little bit of that, without going too much into detail, there's a little bit of that in, in the family, in my parents as well. When I, the, the neurologist went into these sorts of details when he was asking about what was life like for your parents when you were born and when you were conceived, that sort of thing. Because the theory is that you're actually affected from inside the womb. Whatever's going on in your system, your body picks yeah. that up. And that would make sense. Things weren't straightforward, weren't easy for my parents when they were expecting. Therefore, coming out with this central nerve system that is on high alert all the time and just trying to fit in and then finding out that sensitivity means that you're viewing things or hearing things in different ways and you go within to deal with that and then getting the labels that you do, which can get a bit of negativity put on you and the whole way of navigate life with that there is definitely something from that sort of grandparents maybe beyond that working class background who went out did a job and that's the background we came from so me coming out and then with that creativity was a little bit of a curveball i think in terms of the, the the first day i went to work after i left school i sat there bored in an office doing paperwork i thought is this it 16 years is this it I said, there's got to be more. I want to do more. I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to see that. I had a fascination with, I'd always seen pictures of Buddhist monks and thought, what's that about? In a way of, what, in a negative way, but 
who are they? What? Even though I didn't know nothing about them, there was just something that drew me. So it was like I was meant to find the age of 30 to, to sign up to a meditation course and start doing yoga. And it was like, wow, this is nice. This is great. But I'd gone through 30 years of all, all that other stuff. As you do, you go on a journey and all of a sudden something comes along. It's, oh, this is better. This is nicer. And that really changed my outlook. But then you get stuck back into the day-to-day grind and paying the mortgage and, and the other bits and pieces. And so it, it slides. You hit a peak as you deal with a lot of things and then it slide off because of other demands. And fibre, I think, is a bit of a reset for that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. So speaking of creativity, how do you get a chance to use that creativity in a positive way? I'm lucky that I live within 10, 15 minute walk of the countryside. Because one of the things that I promised myself was now you've got time on your hands, you're going to stay as fit and healthy as you can while you learn to manage this. So that if the symptoms, if he's not needing a lot of work. So being able to go for my walks and be in nature has been a great boost. Plus, I've been into photography since around 2010. 2009, 2010. All my life, I've loved looking at pictures. There's just something about photographs, especially black and white of the old days, looking at history books with the old, especially your hometown or places you recognize, that sort of thing, or London, that sort of thing. And when I was up to working with Fibro and knew that I had to get out and about, and I realized places that we maybe had driven to before were in walking distance to give me a good bit of exercise. I put the step counter on my, my phone so that I could gauge how far I was walking. I could do about six, maybe 8,000 push steps a day. And just took my camera with me and started doing my photography and trying to learn how to create images. Before that, it had been, okay, if I get a good shot in camera, that's nice. But now it's a case of, okay, here's the shot I'm taking, but I see that coming out as something else when I process it. For example, the landscape images that I've been posting recently where I've highlighted the point of light in the distance down the path and made everything sort of shadows and creating almost like a mythical sort of feel to these things of, do you want to go through that light and see what's on the inside? So trying to use that as a creative outlet. And it's got, it's got a lot of interesting. I, I, as you see, I share it on Fibro Group on Facebook and that's my thing, the photography. And not working has given me the time to to develop the creative stuff that I wanted to do, but didn't have the time to before. So I could get out and take pictures, but I was sharing something with a a little bit of processing. I can't do much processing now because using screens is is very difficult with my brain fog and my vision being affected as well. Very uncomfortable. But I've worked out shortcuts and quick ways to create an image that I want to create from those pictures so it's not just a case of taking a picture of that wooded landscape I know exactly where I'm going to do the exposure because I want that bit to be clear in the picture I want you to see the detail and I know I can then bring in 
more shadows and, and that sort of thing when I do the processing. It's also very good at just switching off because once you get into the woods and you're amongst trees, you can smell and feel the fresh air while you're amongst the trees, right? Yeah, in the canopy, literally. And it just switches me off. So I've normally got a cast playing, but low enough I hear it, but also that I can still hear nature around me, I can hear the birds singing and that sort of thing. But you're just really taking it in and immersed in it. And that is just somewhere I love to be. The only other place I'm like that is at the coast. And we couldn't live further from the coast where we are, so I don't get that option very often. So my photography is probably the main thing creatively that has given me something to focus on, something to go out and create something and share it with my friends online and, and post that. It's about, for me, it's about feeling, the feeling when I'm there as well as the feeling when I create an image. This is what I'm trying to create. And when you explain that online, people either see it or they don't, and that's fine. Being creative is something that I do for me because I have to be doing something. Otherwise, I'll be just, uh, I could just get up, perhaps on the coat, sofa, and then get up and go back to bed in the evening. That's too painful. Doing nothing is painful. Doing something is painful. I'm going to go out, and it keeps my brain active, which is something I'm so keen to do. When you're out taking the photos and on that adventure, what happens to your fibro symptoms in those moments? You are less aware of them. I know they're there. I'm constantly tingling the sensation all over my body, my skin, and in the lack of coordination and things like that. If you're immersed in your environment, it's a distraction. You're less aware of what's going on in your body. It's that external stimuli where it takes your mind away somewhere else. And say, I'm, I'm normally listening to something. If it's not a podcast, it's gentle music. Just to, okay, this is the sort of place where it has to be ambient type music or just nice, calm, classical music. Not, not my take. A lot of people would say that I'd listen to. I'm more of a heavy rock guy. But there are moments where it's a case of, no, I'm here for a reason, and that's to feel better, as well as get the exercise. The, the symptoms reduced. They're probably still there, but it, it's, it's like the process that Alan Gordon mentions in his, in his book about acknowledge the pain's there, but just it reduces by then by doing that, and but also making you fit with doing other things. It still makes things difficult to do, but your, your brain is focused on the sounds, the colours, the smells, the way the light's coming through the trees. And then also, I'm keeping my, trying to keep my cognitive function going by thinking, okay, but if I look through the camera, will it look like how I want it to look when I share it with other people? Can I capture that moment? Can I portray what I'm feeling or how it looks to me here? whether that's enhancing the shadows or, or whatever it might be, or whether it's just a straightforward shot out of camera. But it is to say when symptoms disappear, it's, you're just not mindful of them because your mind is elsewhere. And I, that is what meditation has taught me over the years. As I say, I think studying meditation 20 plus years ago is starting to, I don't think you ever finish. It's about being mindful of where you are at the time. If you're sitting on the sofa mindful of your pain, you're going to be in pain. And maybe more, by being more aware of the pain, you feel like it's worse. For me, 
once I can get my legs and back moving, it's it eases things a little bit. Getting the oxygen going around my system, assuming I don't know yet, is getting around my system pro- properly. That's one of my questions for the medical professionals. We have to research it. It's not getting to my brain properly. I know that there's so much sport over here. If there's something stopping the oxygen getting there, but it gets the body going, and my focus is on crossing the road safely which has become a major challenge. I never thought I'd have to stop and literally I'd be panicking about getting across the road safely because of the balance and another thing. But once I can get to the woods and it's there's nothing else, no hazards around, it's away from, from everything else. And it's a case of here. And then some days I don't even take pictures. It'll just be a case of, okay, not feeling the light, the the weather, whatever it means, the light's too harsh, there's not enough, all these various things. I'll just go for a nice walk through the woods. You'll see people walking their dogs. I get to pet the dogs. You have little conversations, that sort of thing. And it does, it just takes you away from everything else. And then when you get home, your body goes, why did you do that? <laughs> and you're very aware being back at home and you sit down, that why do I sit with you? But you've had relief for an hour and a half, maybe two hours if I sit. Plenty and just sit and have a break every, every little while. It reminds me a little bit of Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, and I did a series on her last year where one of the only ways she found relief was when she was actually writing Gone with the Wind, where she'd take some time and it didn't relieve it completely, but at least calmed those symptoms to some degree. I'm not sure what your response to hearing Dale's story is many of you who are struggling with fibromyalgia or know someone who is struggling with fibromyalgia and other invisible illnesses likely share much of the experience of what Dale has gone through. However, everyone's their own unique person. And one of these areas that you share is probably being very creative. Unfortunately, many of you who are struggling now are not being able to access that creativity for a variety of reasons. Maybe like Dale, your job is much more routine, maybe dull, tedious, boring, and you're not able to get into that creativity vibe. And I encourage you to share your story with me. I'd love to hear about how you are using your creativity to help lessen your symptoms. If you have any questions or comments or would like to share your experience or topic ideas that you would like covered on future episodes, please let me know. I'd love to hear. We are going to continue the conversation with Dale next week where we will talk about his enjoyment of music and how that impacts his fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro. Fibro.